It's good to be back with you all. Seems like it was just a few months back. Am I not on? Okay, good, good. Um, so I just want to give a quick update. Uh, it's We are working on our building still. I think we're a couple weeks away from being able to move in my office and start having some meetings over there in, in our building. So that's very exciting. So we're very grateful to God for uh, the landlord that we have and the building that we have and it's going to be a great building and uh, I've, I've, I've been kind of the pastor with many hats I just cleaned a toilet the other day and uh, and been kind of overseeing you know dealing with subcontractors and it's 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 been a lot to shoulder but we thank you guys for your prayers and for your support here at Grace Presbyterian Church we have a little bit of contingent from Scottsboro over in the back over there and then my wife's family right there and some over here. So anyways, uh, if you see some new faces, they, they could be some folks from, from our plant coming over to worship with us. So uh, anyways, uh, God's continuing to do some great work. We're, I've got a leadership team right now, and some of the guys that are here actually are, are, are joining us for our leadership team meetings, and uh, we're really t- talking about the importance of the church and, and what it means to have a really healthy ecclesiology. Uh, to really love the church and to see it as significant that we're we don't just do church that we are we are the church and how how that's important uh, and in Scottsboro there's there's a lot of doing church going on and I think that's obviously throughout the world but uh, I think being the church is something that we're really trying to stress so we're grateful to God for His continued to work and not only on our building but in our people. Uh, there's, we've got some, some good people connected. We've got some people that are kind of on the fringes. I think after COVID, they're, they're, they've been a little bit nervous about uh, trying to reconnect and um, meet up with us. So we're, we're hoping to get a Sunday night fellowship meeting soon together uh, to uh, pull everybody back in. And I think once the building's open and the lights are on and there's cars out front, uh, we're, we're really believing that God's going to be bringing people uh, to meet with us. So and I'm also going to start doing some counseling in the community as well. I've had some doctors already tell me, hey, I'm going to refer to you because you're doing Christian counseling and there's people that are sore in need of that. So thank, thank you again for your prayers and for uh, your support. Really, we really appreciate it. So uh, let us turn now to God's word in Psalm 77. Psalm 77, we've already had some reference to this passage already in our worship service today. This is a psalm of Asaph, one of the worship leaders in Israel who wrote uh, many psalms. And so hear now God's word. To the choir master, according to Jedithan, a psalm of Asaph, I cry aloud to God, aloud to God, and he will hear me. In the day of my trouble, I seek the Lord. In the night, my hand is stretched out without wearying. My soul refuses to be comforted. When I remember God, I moan. When I meditate, my spirit faints. Selah. You hold my eyelids open. I am so troubled that I cannot speak. I consider the days of old, the years long ago. I said, let me remember my song in the night. Let me meditate in my heart. Then my spirit made a diligent search. Will the Lord spurn forever and never again be favorable? Has his steadfast love forever ceased? Are his promises at an end for all time? Has God forgotten to be gracious? Has he in anger shut up his compassion? 
Selah. Then I said, I will appeal to this, to the years of the right hand of the Most High. I will remember the deeds of Yahweh. Yes, I will remember your wonders of old. I will ponder all your work and meditate on your mighty deeds. Your way, O God, is holy. What God is great like our God? You are the God who works wonders. You've made known your might among the peoples. You with your arm redeemed your people, the children of Jacob and Joseph. Selah. When the waters saw you, O God, when the waters saw you, they were afraid. Indeed, the deep trembled. The clouds poured out water. The skies gave forth thunder. Your arrows flashed on every side. The crash of your thunder was in the whirlwind. Your lightnings lighted up the world. The earth trembled and shook. Your way was through the sea, your path through the great waters. Yet your footprints were unseen. You led your people like a flock by the hand of Moses and Aaron. Let us now look to the Lord in prayer. Lord, we come to you and to your word even now, and we humble ourselves and we ask that your spirit would fill us, that you would, Lord, hide the messenger and that you would speak through your word to us. We pray that you would remove distractions from our midst, Father, and Lord, that we would focus upon you and that we would hear from you. We ask, Father, in the name of Jesus, that you would, uh, Lord, let your spirit be our teacher. In Jesus' name we ask it, and God's people said, amen. In the last year, a guy I know has lost some people in his ministry that was already a difficult situation before COVID hit. One of his daughters had COVID and is dealing with post-COVID syndrome and depression that has been so profound that she's despaired of life. He deals with shame from verbal abuse by a brother that has led him to feel worthless at times. He's had nightmares that his wife doesn't care for him. He battles anxiety and depression on top of this. He has to battle for his joy. How does this guy press on in the face of all this difficulty? Well, I can tell you, for I am that guy. You may be wondering where I am in all of these struggles that I'm sharing with you, and I'm pleased to say that I'm not stuck. I am hopeful and growing in grace. And the reason for my hope and growth in grace is that the Lord has taught me how to find grace in lament. From my experience of coming to know and experience grace and lament, I want to help you, church, do the same. Lament is a grieving process that's focused on God and keeps us grounded in Him. Lament is an ancient practice among God's people. A third of the Psalms are lament Psalms. Psalms of crying out to God in struggle. So our passage we're studying today is Psalm 77, a psalm of Asaph, and in this psalm, he shows us, he demonstrates for us how we too can find that healing grace through lament. And so there's three points that I want you guys to, to write down, to take with you, and they are points of application to start with, because this is a, a, an act, a proactive psalm, it's the psalm of action before the Lord, and I do believe this is a huge part of how the believer is to come before God. And so grace is found in lament by first crying aloud to God, verses 1 to 5. And then, secondly, complaining in a godly manner, verses 6 through 9. 
And then thirdly, trusting in God and his character. Again, verses 10 through 20. So let's look at this passage together and these points together. First, we find grace and lament by crying aloud to God. Asaph begins in verses 1 through 5 by showing how he approaches the struggles uh, of life. We can read over the text here and miss this human experience that Asaph is actually describing for us. Isn't it true that in, the, in, in our own struggles, the temptation is to go into self-sufficient mode and try to do it ourselves and try to take care of it ourselves until we exhaust our resources and we become anxious and depressed? Another temptation in our struggle is to go dark before God. It's almost like we're, we're saying, God, I, I just don't know what to say to you, so I'm not going to say anything. And our prayer life goes to pot. And some people actually, I think, think they could even give God the silent treatment. I'm just going to not talk to you, God, because I'm not very happy with you. Well, we, <clears throat> in our text, Asaph is saying he's crying aloud to God in lament. He's not quiet. He's not going into self-sufficiency. He's crying aloud to God. You see, lament is actually a prayer directed to God where we are living between God's sovereignty and our struggle with sin, within and without. It's where we are living between God's promises and our pain. And that creates a tension, doesn't it? That every one of us feel. Mark Vrogop in his book called Dark Clouds, Deep Mercy, it's a book about lament and, and finding grace in lament has been very helpful for me. He kind of talked about this tension, and I was like, oh, that's so good, that's rich. Because as Christians, every human being cries. But believers, we lament. We, we really struggle with living in this tension between God's sovereignty and our struggle, between his promise and our pain. And so how are we to navigate it? Asaph is showing us how. So we come before the Lord with loud cries, crying aloud to him. That means sometimes literally loud cries. God, and what does he say here? He says, he will hear me. He has a confidence as he cries aloud to God that God hears. And why does God hear? Because he knows and he loves us. We are his people. So God hears his people. Even our Lord Jesus lamented in prayer in this way as the author of Hebrews tells us in Hebrews 5, 7. He said, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death, and he was heard because of his reverence. So for crying out loud, cry aloud to God. Did you see that? Do you like that? I'm so glad for a response on that one. I didn't get one in the last church I preached at. So, all right. So Asaph goes on to say, though, and this is, dark, this is heavy stuff, and some people might say, you know, you're preaching this on Father's Day. What are you doing, dude? This is kind of sad. Well, it's part of life. And I think all of us can feel the, 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 the tension of the, the, God's sovereignty in our struggle. So let's just keep trudging along. Asaph says, in the day of my trouble, I seek the Lord. Seeking God in our struggles isn't easy for us, nor was it for Asaph. He says, in the night, my hand is stretched out without wearying. He is coming before God like this. Please, God, please. And he's, and, he's, and he's wearing himself out doing it. He says, my soul refuses to be comforted. That doesn't mean he's going, nope, nope, don't comfort me. Don't comfort me. It means there's nothing that he's finding. 
that is bringing comfort in the moment. This is tough. When I remember God, I moan. When I meditate, my spirit faints. You ever been there? You ever thought about God in your trouble? And you went, mm, oh, oh, I don't know what to do, God. I, I, I'm, I'm unsure of how to even approach you. And when we try to meditate on God's word, we fall asleep. You ever fall asleep praying or reading God's word? Been there, done that. Hate that. I used to say it was my sleep apnea, but it's not. It's the weariness of our struggle. But Asaph says, seek the Lord anyways. Matthew Henry, the great commentator of uh, a few hundred years ago, says days of trouble must be days of prayer. Days of inward trouble, especially when God seems to have withdrawn from us. We must seek him and seek until we find him. Those under trouble of mind must not think to drink it away or laugh it away, but must pray it away. Asaph says in verse 4 that God holds his eyelids open. That's interesting, isn't it? I kind of have this image of God just saying, nope. You know, you, you, you're not, you're not, I'm, I'm going to sustain you. That's kind of what I initially thought. It was God, this was God sustaining him. No, this is God keeping him awake. Has God ever kept you awake? Or woken you up? And you're like, I'd rather sleep, God. Yeah, happens to me too. So, God is keeping him from sleep. He's expressing great weariness and is seeking God in the day of his trouble and his soul struggles to find comfort. Sometimes all we can do is moan and feel faint when it comes to thinking of God and his ways. We even try to find comfort in thinking about the good old days and better times. That's what Asaph actually says here. He says, you know, um, I consider the days of old, the years long ago. He's trying to find something that he can hold on to that, that gives him some comfort. But Asaph's psalm doesn't end there. The great preacher Charles Spurgeon says, Words fail the man whose heart fails him. Sleepless and speechless, Asaph was, was reduced to great extremities, and yet he rallied, and even so shall we. What a great word, right? What helps us rally? Never stop crying out to the Lord and seeking the Lord in our day of trouble. Our God hears us because he knows and he loves us. We can cry aloud to him. Don't stop praying. Don't stop seeking. Seek him all the more in your struggle. My friend Chris, who's working at our church building on different projects, was overwhelmed when I met him. I mean, his countenance looked like he was carrying a 500-pound weight on his head like those African women carrying stuff on their heads. I don't know how they do that. But he, Chris looked like that. You could see the weight of his burdens. And as I shared the gospel of grace with him and taught him how to cry aloud to God and bring his struggles before him. He kept thinking, I got to do all these things to get to God. And I said, dude, I hear your heart. I don't think God is out there. He's working on you right here. So just cry aloud to him. And his wife sends me this video of him on his face crying out to the Lord in prayer and in worship a few weeks later. Chris was once into Wicca. Now he's into Jesus. And Jesus is in him. But he still has to fight to seek God in his troubles. And he's got a few. He's got a, quite a few. Well, Chris has now inspired me to lament before God, even when it's tough. May God help us cry aloud to him and seek him, even when it's tough. And he seems so far away. And this point, you, the point you've been waiting for, how do we find grace by complaining in a godly manner? You know, 
we, we see this, and, and we've been taught from as, as little as we were, you know, as, as a small child, don't complain. Complaining's not good, and we think of the Hebrews in the wilderness, right? Complaining didn't get them anywhere. That was, that was dangerous, hazardous to their health, actually, to complain before Yahweh God. But is there a legitimate complaining that we see in the scriptures that isn't at its core anger at God and outright mistrust of him? Well, many of the Psalms of Lament actually demonstrate complaints brought before God in a manner that's legitimate. Todd Billings in his book, Rejoicing in Lament, Wrestling with Incurable Cancer and Life in Christ. He says, writers of laments and complaints in the Psalms often seek to make their case against God, frequently citing God's promises in order to complain that God seems to be forgetting his promises. They throw the promises of God, in a sense, back at him in prayer. Mark Vrograp says, you see, without a complaint, there would be no lament. You hear that? It is important to note that we're not justified in raging at God in anger or, or judging him for what he's chosen to bring about in our lives. That's not justifiable. But God does not want us to be stoics. He doesn't want us to say, oh, I'm fine, and put on a smile and act like everything's fine when it's not. That's why I love when you guys started worship today. It's okay if you're not okay. Because guess what? Most of us are not okay with what's going on right now. And I would venture to say we're all not okay because we know the sin within our own hearts. We know there's frustrations in this world. There's sin and misery that we're dealing with around us and even within our own hearts. So... How are we to find grace and lament? We turn again to Asaph's words. He tells us, he says, let me remember my song in the night. Let me meditate in my heart. Then his spirit made a diligent search. Would I love this? He doesn't just cry aloud to God. He, he says, you know what? My spirit has to do some work here. I've got to exercise my faith muscles. I've got to do some work uh, and some hard work. And what, is, what does he have to make a diligent search of? His feelings and his thoughts that he was having that could be seen as godly complaints or even a test uh, of his own faith. He teaches us so how to complain in a godly manner by putting them in the form of questions. So he rattles off five questions of complaint here that show us what he was wrestling with. He, he wonders if the Lord will spurn him forever, if, if, if God will continue to show uh, some, somewhat of a, a, an ungracious attitude toward him, if the Lord will again be gracious to, to him, he feels that God's love has ceased toward him and his promises are no more applicable to him. It feels to him that God has forgotten to be gracious to him, maybe overlooking him. It feels like maybe God is angry and no more will have mercy on him. We need to remember that whatever we feel comes from thoughts that we have. And often those thoughts that we have are based in fear and unbelief. And we have to challenge those. And so if we have faith, we're going to wrestle we're going to wrestle with certain things. And, and we have to fight against our unbelief. And so Spurgeon says this about these questions. These questions that we pose are suggested by fear, but they're also the cure of fear. It's a blessed thing to have grace enough to look such questions in the face, for their answer is self-evident and eminently fitted to cheer the heart. We've got to ask the why questions and the how long questions that we often see in the Psalms, right? How long, O Lord? Or why... Oh, why have you forsaken me? All these kind of questions show where we are struggling and can't see where, 
where God is meeting us. Often these are expressing God, our feelings about him. And yeah, we're struggling to believe. But our godly complaints, our questions, our frustrations voiced to him should never be an end in themselves. Mark Vrogop says, through godly complaint, we are able to express our disappointment and move toward resolution. And this is what we watch Asaph do. It's through his questions that he's challenging his spirit to hold fast in faith and fight against unbelief. So Spurgeon goes on to say, it's a wise thing thus to put unbelief through the catechism. Isn't that cool? Each one of the questions, Spurgeon says, is a dart aimed at the very heart of despair. Thus we have also in our days of darkness done battle for life itself. We need to put our unbelief to the catechism. Challenge our unbelief with what it is that we believe. What is it that we hold true? Actually, who is it that we believe in? Who holds fast to us? We've got to keep holding fast to him. So does this coming to God with godly complaint in the form of questions and frustrations really work? Well, Mark Vrogop tells a story of a man in his church who met with him and told him of his lifelong struggle with same-sex attraction. Counseling had been discouraging as it was about changing his behavior. He resonated with the words from the lament psalms that Mark was preaching on that day as echoing his words in his journal. He felt like God had forgotten him and struggled with why God allowed the painful situations of his childhood to occur. He battled anger with his parents, and he felt like God was always distant, and he was struggling with God. But Mark Vrogrop encouraged him over the next few months to tell God exactly how he was feeling. He challenged him to complain through his questions and frustrations and bring these before the Lord as modeled in the scriptures. And slowly the, the darkness in this man's life began to lift. No, his same-sex attraction, those evil desires weren't vanishing, but his sense of God's abandonment was vanishing. And he poured out, as he poured out his soul in lament, it opened his heart for God to apply healing grace in his life. And the painful questions that once created the barrier between him and God actually were the vehicle to draw him closer to the one who would change his heart. Do you hear that? The questions you bring before God, maybe when they're held within, are barriers between you and God. But God does not desire for those to, to be barriers. He wants you to let them out and bring those before him. He can handle it. He can handle it. So how do we complain in a godly way? Well, we must follow the pattern of the psalmist as they model this. Uh, Mark Vrogrob actually says, come humble, pray the Bible, be honest, and don't just complain. Don't end there. I, I think sometimes finding a lament psalm that is, is really helpful for you and kind of fits where you're at, pray that psalm. Let that become your psalm of the week or the month or the, the time or the season that you're dealing with your, your specific troubles. God knows our hearts and our struggles, but this process of lament is where we find his grace works to help us move forward past our stuck place. You think God wants you to be stuck? I really don't think he does. Not ever in your relationship with him. I think he wants you to move forward and grow in grace. So where are you stuck right now? I would suggest humble and honest approach to God and questions and frustrations being voiced in prayer. I found journaling my prayers being incredibly helpful. Remember, God wants you to come to him and move forward 
in your relationship with him. Move toward him with your godly complaints. And Mark Vergrab tells a simple way to do that. Here's a, here's a little quick sentence. You can say, God, I know you are not blank, but it feels like you are right now. And you could, you could fill in the blank there. But we must remember Asaph doesn't end in complaint and neither should we. Thirdly, we find grace and lament by trusting in God and his character again. And I say that because we have to keep coming back to that, don't we? We have to keep coming back to a renewed trust and a renewed confidence and a renewed reliance upon his word, his character, his goodness. So Asaph shifts from his diligent search and his resolution to pursue the Lord and to bring the questions before the Lord to now a resolution. And he says, I'm going to appeal to this, to the years of the right hand of the Most High. Now, some of your versions might say there, this is my infirmity or this is my grief that God himself should not change. There's a little bit of an interpretation difference there in some versions. Well, I don't think it changes anything because the reality of it is he's preaching to his heart. Wait a minute, God himself doesn't change. If there's anybody who changes, it's us. So he actually steers our attention and his own heart, soul's attention to the years of God's right hand working. That's the years of God's blessing and, and his working, his gracious provision. And so he is considering historical events. And so Asaph's attention's not on his troubles really any longer, but on the object of faith, his God and his actions. Derek Kidner, a commentator, says that his, this right hand of God, so far from failing, links the past to the present, full of promises. Full of promises. Folks, we need to sometimes take a step back, and that's what Asaph's doing here. He's choosing a 30,000-foot view, a big-picture view, Instead of looking at his own issue simply like we tend to do when we get our heads down and we just navel gaze and we're like, oh man, I'm so stuck in this. He looks to the big picture to see that his sovereign God who's been faithful in history is the same God who's at work faithfully in his life. So Asaph tells us how he does this. Verses 12, 11 and 12, he chooses to remember the deeds of Yahweh. This is the first time Asaph calls God Yahweh here. This is his personal and relational name that he revealed to, him, to Moses to bring to the people of the Hebrews so that they would know who he is. I am that I am. This is the personal name of God, his relational name. So Asaph, like the believers in the Old Covenant, look back to this most wondrous and vivid event in their history where Yahweh intervened so wondrously and he revealed himself to his people to Save them. Asaph is remembering the deeds of Yahweh there in the wilderness, in their great trouble, so that it would bring great peace to him and be a source of his renewed trust in his own trouble. Matthew Henry says, The due remembrance of the works of God will be a powerful antidote against distrust of his promise and goodness, for he is God and changes not. And this is a good quote by Spurgeon. He says, memory is a fit handmaid for faith. When you're struggling, remember. Remember. Isn't that interesting that the Lord's Supper, do this in remembrance of me. When we're struggling, remember. Memory is a 
fit handmade for faith. Spurgeon says, when faith has its seven years of famine, memory like Joseph in Egypt opens her granaries. He had a way with words, didn't he? Well, looking back actually helps us to keep looking up and leaning in on the Lord himself. Looking back helps us to keep looking up and leaning on the Lord. We need to be remembering and reminding ourselves of God's interventions as this bolsters our faith and keeps us from unbelief. So what Asaph does next is hugely instructive for us in our process of trusting him in our lament. In verses 13 and 15, he specifically recounts what God revealed about himself in the Exodus where he redeemed his people. He talks to God about who he is and what he did first. You see, he, he goes from crying aloud and his soul not being comforted to now the psalm shows a switch. Your, your way, O oh God, is holy. What God is great like our God? You are the God who works wonders. You have made known your might among the peoples. With your arm, you redeemed your people, the children of Jacob and Joseph. Well, God knows all these things. He's repeating these back to God, but why does he do this? He does it for his own soul, and he also knows he's doing it for the posterity of, of the people of Israel who often would take these psalms and sing them together. They're not just celebration songs that they sang together and worship songs. Sometimes it was psalms of lament that they sang together because we do need to be a people who mourn over our sin and, and our sinful state as well as the sinful world in which we live. So we need to anchor, we need to have an anchor in the storms of life. And so we come back to our anchor, our, our God himself. And so our trust of him grows as we focus on his accomplishments and his character. As he becomes bigger in our eyes, our troubles and struggles fade in their weight and their, their power over us. The hugeness and pervasiveness of our troubles often are swallowed up by the, the glory and the majesty and the provision of Yahweh God who loves us. Asaph then recounts the obedience of creation to the power of Yahweh. In verses 16 to 18, he's talking about this picture that you kind of get, and you're thinking, was this what the Hebrews witnessed at the, at the Red Sea? God doing all this? I mean, it kind of sounds like Sinai mixed with the Red Sea, right? There's a lot of things happening, but the big thing that we need to see is the Lord himself is the sovereign God who's over even nature itself. He's sovereign over the ends as well as the means. Isn't that good? He's not going to just ordain what's going to happen. Everything along the way is part of his plan too. That's our God. That's who we believe and trust in. And so the scholars show us that the God who so cares for us has creation obey his will to protect his people. Can you imagine what it was like for them to be there and trapped between the sea and Pharaoh's army? coming at him. It had to be a, a feeling of incredible uh, fear and, and confusion. And what does God do? Is he calls upon creation to wall up the water, right? The wind comes through and walls up the water, creates a dry path for them to go through the sea, to cross over. And that's, that same provision that God provided there with the power of creation, he used the power of creation to bring wrath and judgment upon Pharaoh's army. This is our God. There's something else powerful that I almost missed. Asaph mentions God's way was through the sea. I don't know about you guys, but if I was standing on the, at the edge of the water and saw the sea and, and, and Pharaoh's army was 
shouting behind me, I would not see a way. We would not have seen a way. But just because we don't see a way doesn't mean there's not a way. Because our God makes ways for his people. In your trouble, in your trial, in your lament, God has made a way. There, there seems to be no way. Does it seem like his footsteps can't be seen sometimes? Absolutely. You can't see his footsteps. You can't see the evidence necessarily that he was, was there. But we can in the effects around us and what he's doing. God provides in beautiful ways that seem like they don't make sense to us. But that's our God. Our God provides ways for us. And he leads us like a flock. As our great shepherd, he leads us. He doesn't drive us. You see, we, we used to think shepherds would drive their sheep, you know, as uh, kind of like cracking a whip, and, you know, as the sheep are running before them. No, the imagery here is God leads his people like a flock. And that means he goes before us. Isn't that a great comfort in our struggles, that our God goes before us and with us? And he, and he gets us, he's our rear guard as well. He goes behind us, sometimes cleaning up the messes that we've made. But isn't that a powerful reassurance? And so we as believers today, what is our vivid reminder? And the thing that we remember to remind us of God's faithfulness and that we can trust in him again and again and again, we look back to the cross. We look back to our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who came from heaven above and he took on flesh to be our perfect high priest, living the life we never could have lived so that we could not only be forgiven of our sins upon the cross in which he died, but he was the one who would declare us righteous. We have the greater deliverance than the Hebrews ever did from the Exodus. We have a Savior who's not only redeemed us, but he's come to live within us. And he's given us his spirit as a paraclete, which is soldier language for the one who has your back. He has provided everything by his divine power for life and godliness and to face even the struggles of this life. Because he is the great shepherd of his sheep and he will not let us go. He holds us fast and he is with us and for us. So, I jumped ahead of my notes. That's okay. Um, in my spiritual depression that I went through recently, if you got my newsletter, you read about it, I went through a, a, a difficult time due to a lot of the things that I mentioned in my introduction. I'm convinced, though, that a lot of believers experience a spiritual depression because we know what we need to do often, but sometimes when we're in those troubles, we don't do it. And I think I went through that sense of trying to figure it out on my own, trying to fix it. Us guys are guilty of that. Trying to fix stuff that seems broken in our very deficient ways of, of doing that. But these aspects of lament lived out opened my eyes to see God's grace at work in new ways and enabled me to find healing grace for the things that are still causing us lament. And, and once again, there are still things that are causing us to lament. Our daughter who's sick is not here with us this morning. And we have up days and down days. We have good days and bad days. 
So I'm still crying out to the Lord. I'm still complaining in a godly way. I'm still trusting in God and having to go and do these things over and over again. But these actions anchor me to the Lord in the storm of this post-COVID world where it seems like so much is out of our control. My lament has provided me a way to cope with the state of the world in a productive manner that keeps me fixing my eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. May the Lord enable each of you to navigate through your struggles with these tools to lament so you may find grace in, in your lament and continue to grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ. May the Lord be glorified in our lament and show us his powerful grace in it. Let's pray. Father, thank you for opportunity to come before you today. We, we, we thank you that, Lord, we can be reminded from this passage that you're not a God who's far, and, uh, far away from us, but actually you are very near. You've made us in your image, God, and we see even from the second chapter of, uh, Lord, of Genesis that you delight in us and everything was very good because you had made us. So, Lord, we know that you, uh, Lord, not only take an interest in us, but you are our God, our relational God who reveals himself to us. I pray that today you'd reveal yourself afresh to people in here, maybe for the first time, who've never seen you or heard you talked of like this. We pray in Jesus' name that you would continue to help us to see that you are for us and you are the one who goes before us, leading us like a, a flock. And you tend to us, you know, our, you know us better than we know ourselves, and you call to us. Lord, help us to come to you and cry aloud to you and seek you, to complain to you in a godly manner with our questions and frustrations. But Lord, to also keep trusting in you and your character, to remember what you have done. I pray that you would give us memories, Lord, of things that you have accomplished over and over again, and that we would, Lord, allow for these things to Lord, bolster our faith, and, and we, we can preach these things even to our unbelief. That might be a catechism for that. And uh, we just ask, Lord, you would just continue to help us this day. And I pray for the dads in here, God, as, we, as it is Father's Day, I pray that you would help us to be men who are okay to cry aloud to you, to be okay with confessing sin and repenting of it, because God, modeled, modeling that before our wives and our children is, is huge. And uh, we ask that you would just continue to direct our time in Jesus' name. Amen.